0: Gina Della from Pella. Choose 5 years no interest and 5 months no first payment or 10 year 2.99 APR financing. Ends August 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com slash radio or 855 PellaWI.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AcuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
2: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Yes, at the end of the program, we listen to Joe Biden explain... Why it was that we bugged out of Afghanistan and his... I don't know, very stringent defense that it wasn't his fault. It was Trump's fault and turning what was actually a military debacle into what he would prepare was, was a victory, including things like, hey, we, we planned this and we knew stuff like this was going to happen. Well, tell that to the families of the American servicemen who lost their lives in the chaos that last week. We'll, we'll talk about the bug out and the president's speech coming up in just a little bit. Don't want to start off the program like that, though, because... My blood pressure is high enough. Let's talk about something very positive. Tomorrow is the start of Summerfest. As a matter of fact, during the 2 o'clock hour of the program, we're going to have some Summerfest-related topics and a discussion we're going to have. But we are going to be broadcasting live from Summerfest tomorrow tomorrow. And Friday, matter of fact, WTMJ is going to be broadcasting live most days from Summerfest. Keep in mind that Summerfest this year runs over three consecutive weekends, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So, um, I'll be there. Thursday and Friday of the first week, and then the Thursday and Friday of the last week, we're going on our listener trip to Normandy that I'm very much looking forward to next week, and that's still on. and Excited to be traveling uh, to France with a number of WTMJ listeners. Hey, one of the things I am going to be following when I am overseas is is the Brewers. I, I stayed up. Late last night, this is a really, really fun team. You could argue that the three best teams in the National League, maybe in baseball, are the Los Angeles Dodgers, the San Francisco Giants, and the Milwaukee Brewers. And uh, last night, second game in a row, the Brewers beat the Giants. They won 6 to 2 after winning I think what 4-1 4-2 the night before that. Uh, just a stellar pitching pre- uh, performance by Brandon Woodruff um following up another stelling stellar pitching performance by Corbin Burns. I'm telling you this team it it's it is the real deal. They're now 10 games ahead of Cincinnati in the NL Central. That race is is all but over. And the real question to me is how many games can this team win? The all-time record for brewers wins is is 96 in a season and that was the 2011 and the 2018 teams um right now the brewers have a record of 81 and 52 so that means they've got what you know 29 games that are left to play if they end up winning go 15 and 14, essentially play 500 baseball, they will match the all-time win record of Brewers teams. And I think there's a very, very good chance that uh, they're, they're going to exceed that greatly. So this is a special, special year. Hope you are enjoying it. Uh, plenty of room on the bandwagon, so hop on. All right, let us get started. For the fourth time in about... The last, I don't know, week and a half or so, we had a situation where Milwaukee police ended up in a gunfight with someone who had fled from them. Now, let me me correct that. I guess in the last week and a half, for the fourth time, police in this area. The first time was a Greenfield police officer who is still fighting for his life after he was shot following um, what turned out to be a traffic stop and a flight, and then the occupant of a vehicle shot the Greenfield police officer, and the bad guy was killed in the exchange of gunfire. Since then, there have been two more situations where you had individuals who fled the police, police and either brandished guns were shot at the police um, were, were killed by police and gunfire so here's the latest story Monday evening about 515. Five fifteen and, and one of the things that really strikes me about these stories is we're not talking about stuff that happens at two or three in the morning. We are talking about stuff that happens at four and five and six o'clock in, in the afternoon. A couple of the the murders of a couple teenagers a few days ago. that was like at four o'clock in in the afternoon, so it's now at a point where you know it is almost not safe to be pretty much anywhere in the city of Milwaukee, but here's the deal: five fifteen. Police saw a person in a vehicle who was wanted in a separate shots-fired incident. So they see this person that they're already looking for because the guy's been involved in, in shooting. Officers try to pull over the vehicle. All right, whenever you hear that story, what do you know is the next thing that you are going to hear? One, two, three. Officers tried to pull over the vehicle. The next thing you almost always hear is the driver fled. So you have the driver then takes off. Officers chase the car to the 1600 block of West Beecher Street, where it crashed into several other vehicles, police said. That's the other thing that, you know, almost always happens. They try to pull over a car, the driver flees, and then after a short chase, typically the driver crashes into some other vehicle or a tree. At that point in time, the suspect and the officers exchanged gunfire. So here you have this guy who, again, fleeing from the police, And gets out, starts shooting. The suspect, a 21-year-old Milwaukee man, ran away after shots were fired, but police caught up and arrested him. Police also arrested two men, ages 20 and 21, who were inside the vehicle that fled. They also seized several firearms from the group. The Journal Sentinel notes that the case bears similarity to other recent police pursuits that have ended with officers firing at suspects that fled. All right. Well, the the thing that's missing in that statement that the local newspaper has is officers ended up firing at people who fled, who either brandished guns or fired at the officers. On Thursday, Milwaukee police fatally shot a 33-year-old man after officers saw him recklessly, driving recklessly, tried to pull him over. Police pursued him. He crashed. Police say two officers shot him after he refused to drop a handgun. August 22nd, Greenfield police shot and killed 31-year-old Tyron Lamb after a traffic, traffic stop and a two-mile pursuit into Milwaukee. According to police, Lamb shot at officers after his crashing his car near South 27th and West Beecher Street, striking one in the chest. And then police recently shot and killed a third person under different circumstances. On August 16th, they fatally shot 42-year-old Broderick Shelton after he fired a weapon as officers approached a gas station at the 2500 block of North 27th Street. But you see that this pattern that's there, you have people who are willing to engage and shoot it out with the police. And last night is the latest example. The only thing that's different about what happened last night is... They, they caught him, there was an exchange of gunfire, but but nobody was was hurt because the police missed and the bad guy missed, and, and now he is in jail. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This now seems to be the pattern in Milwaukee. Police try to make a stop. In almost all cases, the people that are stopped try to run. They are, in almost all cases, armed to the teeth. In almost all cases, they are felons, not legally allowed to own firearms. And when they inevitably crash the car following the chase, they get out and they shoot it out with cops. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When I was talking about the, a related story the other day, a couple of the texters said, Jeff, the, the answer to this is just let them go. It, it is too dangerous to try to engage with, with these people. You can try to catch them later You know they're probably armed. You know they're willing to shoot it out with police. If the cops would just let these people go, the community would be safer. You wouldn't have all the angst about the police shooting people. Maybe they should just let them go. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My response to this would be, maybe we should just let all the decent law-abiding people who still are in Milwaukee, maybe we should just buy them out, let them move out, and just turn the city over completely to criminals. Of course the police have to chase. And if somebody is armed and willing to shoot it out with the police, of course the police have to fire back. And if that means bad guys get killed from time to time, I'm sorry. That is what they have chosen when they decide to be felons in possessions of guns, flee from the cops, and shoot at the cops. Am I missing something? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855 If you're not keeping track, yesterday... Five o'clock, 5.15 in the afternoon, another situation. Police try to pull somebody over. The guy um, was wanted for being involved in other shots fired incidents. He flees from the police. Brief high speed chase crashes into cars. He's armed, gets out exchanges gunfire with the police starts to run now in this particular situation that the gunfire he didn't hit any police thankfully the police did not hit him he ended up being apprehended but this this is now almost a daily thing and and you know, the only reason I think this stuff gets reported—it is so commonplace—is because there there's shots fired, and you know, in in and it's shooting at at police officers. And of course, we have some people who think that the police are always wrong when you know they return fire. My point is, look, here here's the bottom line: this city is just overwhelmingly dangerous, and the biggest problem is you have people in many cases who have criminal records, not legally allowed to own guns, who are having have the guns, they are driving recklessly, they have no regard for human life at all, and they're willing to shoot it out with the cops. And I I think at some point in time, unfortunately, we have some people who are more sympathetic to the people who flee from the police and exchange gunfire than we do for first of all the police, and secondly, all the other folks in the community whose lives are at risk. I mean, my God, this is five fifteen, you know, in the afternoon yesterday. You could have been out there, your spouse could have been out there, your kids could have been on the street. This happens on a regular basis. Bottom line is it is time to get these out people off the streets if it means we've got to warehouse them let's warehouse them but i'm sick of these explanations oh th- this this guy that just shot at the police oh he was really a good guy and and look he was he was going to turn his life around well no if you're going to turn your life around you're not driving around fleeing from police with a gun that you're not legally able to carry and then willing to shoot at the cops no that is not the sign of oh this is a really good guy who's getting willing to turn his life around vincent on the northwest side vincent you're on WTMJ.
3: Good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, Vincent. I totally agree with you. Uh, the fact is is that these are dangerous individuals who are willing to shoot at police officers and, and just understand that uh, they don't care about this community, and and, and they're probably out here creating uh, all kind of havoc and may- mayhem in this community because you, you, you talked about the individuals that just got caught yesterday. They had several guns in the car, so they were basically up to no good right. for this community. So they need to be removed, removed from the streets, and taken off the streets for a very long time. And and for individuals who say that these individuals don't need to be chased by police officers, who else is going to do it? Yeah, who right? else is going to get out? Who else is going to do it? Who else is going to who else is going to get out here and face face this face these individuals? You know, because the fact is, the community is continuously continuously being uh, put upon by these individuals. Yeah. We've had. Uh, Four, four individuals uh, uh, over the weekend killed under the under the age of nineteen, you know, dead, gone, and so and and, and so th- this community needs to wake up and understand that, that the people that are, are, are putting our lives in danger look like us, and we need to get these individuals off the street as soon as possible.
2: Right, because the community is, is it's. You know, and, and I, when it comes to crime, Vincent, I'm I'm a big believer in the fact that until you get a hold of crime, that affects the quality of life. I mean, who who wants to live in a neighborhood that's a shooting gallery? Who wants to live in a neighborhood where you've got 20, 22-year-old people driving around? A lot of them are felons with criminal records, with guns, who are obviously willing to use them. Because if you're willing to shoot at a cop, you're certainly willing to shoot it at somebody else. And the community just has to be protected. And you got to get those people off the streets you
3: have to get them off the streets and, and, and by any means necessary and so uh they, they mean it's no good and uh, the fact is economically you don't expect businesses to come in, uh, come into the uh to the yeah. city with conditions like this you, you, it, it's 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 just not uh going to happen so the fact is until we clean this city up until we get 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 the notion that we have to clean this city up and and uh and right. get it right. The fact is, we're, we're going to still be struggling.
2: Yeah. No. Thanks, you you're, you're exactly right, and and unfortunately, there are there are at least some loud voices in the community that seemed to be more concerned with, gee, you know, what happened to the guy with the criminal record who fled the cops, crashed into cars, and started shooting at them. Gee, what happened to... We're more concerned about that than they are about the fact that the guy's out on the streets in the first place. And that is that is a dangerous disconnect with reality. And then, of course, you know, you you do have, like, the local newspaper that plays into this, this headline. No one was injured after Milwaukee police suspect exchanged gunfire. It was the third time in eight. days police fired shots after a pursuit. Well, yes, that is that is technically correct, but it is, you know, it's what what's the phrase? It's accurate but not true because I mean, what what really happened is it was a third time in 8 days police fired shots after being shot at and or having a gun brandished at them after a pursuit. So it's not like the police fired the shots after somebody pursued. There was something that happened in between that was pretty significant, namely that the bad guy, the person that ran, either brandished a gun or shot at cops, which, which is a pretty significant difference, unless I guess you're the headline writer at the Journal Sentinel. Give me a break.
1: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
2: This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase is its presenting sponsor Great Midwest Bank. Thanks again to Great Midwest Bank for being such great partners. Great Midwest Bank, you're simply local equal housing home renovation lender. A couple of texters making the point that well Jeff, you know, it, I understand what you're saying, but part of the problem is the rise of of gun ownership. Well, Here would be my response to this, and I'm willing to be corrected because we don't have all the details about the the 21-year-old who fired at the police and and then fled and his two um, low-life buddies that were in the car with a bunch of guns. My guess is that those guns were not legally owned. That's just my guess. I believe in all the other cases that we were talking about with the recent chases and police shootings, and, I, and I'm willing to be corrected, but I believe in all those cases, because of the backgrounds of the people that were involved, they were not legally able to own firearms in the first place. So, I look, I, I understand some people want to blame the guns. Oh, it's the guns, it's the guns, it's the guns. There's too many guns out there. And, and, and I guess my starting point for this would be there's too many guns. Guns in the hands of bad guys. There's too many guns in the hands of people who are not legally allowed to own those guns. There's too many guns in the hands of people who are not legally allowed to own guns and are willing to use them to shoot at police and stuff. So I, I, I would think that we could all come to the same conclusion. Before we start talking about, well, maybe we need to confiscate guns, shouldn't we perhaps focus at least initially on the idea that people who are illegally carrying and or using using guns need to be removed from the streets. And and then we can worry about the law abiding citizens that own guns. But let's start our concentration on why there are so many criminals that are out there carrying guns illegally and willing to use them. And let's focus on getting those people off the streets and taking the guns out of their hands and then we can have this broader conversation about do we need to take guns out of everybody's hands but you know what's the sense of having laws against felons in possession of firearms unless we're willing to enforce those laws and you see what happens when you don't enforce those laws aggressively people just continue to carry guns it's like reckless driving you you know you, you take away somebody's driver's license fine you suspend their license or whatever, How many times have we talked about this? There's no penalty. People don't care. They don't care. I mean, the the, the rest of us who, you know, have valid driver's licenses and have insurance and play by the rules, uh, there's a certain subset of the society that just thinks we're all chumps, Why? you know, because they they know that if they get caught driving recklessly or their licenses are suspended or whatever, or they don't have insurance, they're going to keep driving. They don't care. The rest of us that follow by the rules, we're, we're chumps. And if we happen to get in the way of these people who are driving recklessly and they slam into it... Well, too bad, so sad. No, those people got to get off the streets as well. All right, off my soapbox. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. The pennant race is heating up, and this week in the Bay Area, it's a potential NLCS preview. The Brew Crew head to San Francisco for a four-game showdown against the Giants. They have already won the first two of those four. Our coverage starts at 8 o'clock this evening, sponsored by Steinhoffel's labor day sale um all right so wake up this morning and my my first routine get out of bed and put the coffee on grab the pooch take her out for a little bit of a walk so as i'm walking out open the garage door as i'm walking out the neighbor lady across the street she's walking her dog so she's we happen to come out at the same time i have never in as long as we've known each other we have never had a discussion about politics we we, we just we just haven't we, you know we have talked about you know how how the kids doing and you know all, all those different things we have never had a political discussion she comes up to me she's got her dog i've got mine this is like i don't know 6:30 this morning and she says i got one question for you and i said okay and she said who are we surrendering to today? <laughs> I said. Oh, well, that's a very good question. She said. I've never been more frustrated. I. I she works during the day. She said. I. I came home. I, I. saw the president. I watched a review of this thing. I wanted to throw stuff at the TV. My gosh. I mean, you know, he, he's trying to pretend that all the chaos that happened in Afghanistan was part of a of a plan. And I said, Well, then he was also, of course, blaming President Trump as well. That's right. It was to blame Trump. Nothing on him. This was all sort of a plan. I said, Yes. Well. That's That's a very good question. I don't know who the president is planning to surrender. Now, let me give you a couple updates on things. Um, The Wall Street Journal. This is a story about an hour ago. Uh, The U.S. has now confirmed that it left behind The majority of Afghan allies who had applied for visas to escape reprisal from the Taliban, a senior State Department official said on Tuesday, despite efforts to evacuate those at risk in the final two weeks of the mission, more to come. So now the U.S. is acknowledging that we did, in fact, leave an enormous number of people that we had promised to get out. We had left them behind. And then, of course, now the U.S. military is also acknowledging that we left behind lots and lots of equipment, rockets and things like that, not the stuff that was necessarily at the air at the airport in, in Kabul, because that stuff we, we pretty much destroyed. But all the other stuff, for example, that we left at Bagram Air Force Base, and that is why you now see the Taliban in possession of Black Hawk helicopters that they're probably not going to be able to fly, but they are going to sell to China and Russia, so they will have access to our technology. Not to mention then all the counter rocket artillery mortar s- systems, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, plus the um, MRAPs, the mine-resistant ambush-protected vehicles, the Humvees, there were 27 Humvees that were left behind. So we, we've left a lot of stuff behind. We left a lot of materiel behind, and we left a lot of people behind that we had promised to get out. Well, you know, maybe you had an opportunity to listen to the president yesterday. Um, I, I, I guess I, I, I will say this. When, maybe one of the philosophies is, when you're wrong, be strong, and One of the things that really struck me about the bug out was the fact that the the president keeps wanting to change the subject. To me, the question has never been, you know, should we be out of Afghanistan? Okay, the question is, how did we get out of Afghanistan? And was there a better way to do it or put another way? Was there a worse way that we could have done it? And I'm not exactly, you know, sure what that would be. We all understand that President Biden has been an opponent of our presence in, in Afghanistan pretty much, well, since we was vice president. That, that, that's fine. No question that he had made a commitment that we were going to get out of Afghanistan, and that's fine. He ran for that, um, and, and he decided to perpetuate it. And it is also true that Donald Trump, he, he had cut a deal with the Taliban that was a terrible Deal. No question about it. But look, Joe Biden, to blame Trump, it's just it's almost unbelievable because Biden has spent the last eight months pretty much reversing any sort of policy of Trump's that he didn't like, which was most of them. If Joe Biden didn't want out of Afghanistan, we would not be getting out of Afghanistan. Plus, the Taliban has violated a number of the terms of the agreement it cut with President Trump. So if you wanted to renege on that agreement, say, hey, they violated it, there would be all sorts of choices. When I listen to speech, I, the speech, the, and one of the things that's frustrating is the president kind of puts this out as a binary choice. His only choices were total withdrawal or sending thousands of troops in. Does anybody believe that? I mean no the the alternative it wasn't a question of getting out. It was a question of how do you in fact get out? Do you do it in an orderly way? Do you perhaps I mean secure the Air Force base so you don't have to leave all the materiel behind? Do you simply say, hey, we are the one remaining superpower in this world and we're not going to be pushed around by the Taliban and we're going to get all the people that we've made to commitment to get out. We're we're going to, you know, get them out. Um Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. I, I also, and the Wall Street Journal makes this point today, you know, the, the president says, well, the war in Afghanistan is now over. Well, I, I don't, Nobody believes that. I mean, the the Taliban is now in complete control of Afghanistan. And the U.S. now has no military in the country. There's no CIA listening post there. No friendly government or allies to locate or gather intelligence on terror camps. So, I mean, this idea that, okay, we're... We're we're now – the war is, in fact, over. I mean, really, what planet are we talking about? 855-616-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. I, I understand that President Biden recognizes that the American people have a very short memory. And that he hopes, I think, that people are are simply going to forget the debacle of the last few weeks and will be, at the end of the day, glad that America is out of Afghanistan. And they'll be so glad that we're out of Afghanistan that they will forget about the chaos of the last you know several weeks including you know chaos which inspired this this latest ISIS attack which killed over 200 people as ISIS saw an opportunity to take advantage of all the chaos the large groups of people who were now flooding to the airport because we had stupidly decided that we were going to set this drop dead bait to get out 855-616-1620, that's the acc mortgage talk and text line. I understand the president hopes that people are, are going to forget about what have happened and concentrate on gee, you know what 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 are the taxpayers going to give people for free and, and let 's get past this i don 't think that that is going to happen at all. matter of fact, I think images from the last few weeks I think those are going to be in many respects the defining memory of the Biden administration, whether it ends in 2024 or after 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss
1: back to take your calls. Here's
2: WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Some of this conversation makes my head want to explode because I'm getting these texts from people who still are, are, are mired deeply in, in the Trump hatred. Well, Trump, 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 oh, Trump didn't take responsibility. Either. Okay, so what is the point? All right, you, you got to move past this. You got to look at what Biden has done. And some people are saying, "Well, don't you understand why? Why are you blaming Biden for not reversing Trump's policies? Trump tried to reverse everything Obama did." I understand that. But I'm just saying that when Joe Biden tries to explain the debacle in Afghanistan over the last couple months by saying he was stuck with a deal that Trump negotiated, that's a bunch of horse hockey. He was not stuck with that deal, just like he wasn't stuck with a lot of other deals that that Trump had made over the years. If Joe Biden didn't want to get out of Afghanistan, there were all sorts of ways that we could have not gotten out of Afghanistan. But Joe Biden has been saying since 2000, at least 2009, he wanted us out of there. That, that's that been his thing. It's, we, we've got to get out. We can't have these forever wars. I understand that point. But the problem is, you could not imagine a more botched way to do it. And when the president implies that, well, this would have happened, you know, regardless of how we would have done it. Again, what planet is he on? A lot of the stuff that happened was the chaos because of the the bug out that occurred. Also, you know, they say, well, we didn't understand that the Taliban was going to, you know, fall up, that the Taliban was going to start taking over parts of the country as quickly. Well, part of that was because the U.S. stopped providing support, air support to the Afghan army. And once they did that, the Taliban advanced. If the U.S. would have, I don't know, continued to support the Afghan army, While we were in the process of getting our allies and things out, while we were in the process of pulling our equipment back or whatever, you know, it's entirely likely that you would not have had the chaos which led to all these people being left behind, which led to the massive people that were outside the gates, which inspired ISIS to say, "Okay, this is how we're going to make one of these suicide attacks. I just yeah. I understand. Trump made a bad deal. I stipulate to that. I agree with that. The Taliban violated that bad deal. If Joe Biden wanted to keep us in Afghanistan longer, make a more orderly withdrawal, don't kid yourself. There were all sorts of ways he could do it. And that's my only point where I say for him to come out and blame Donald Trump for this is dishonest and disingenuous at best he wanted us out and that's all well and good but then you gotta own what happened when we get out don't you let's talk to uh, jackie in south milwaukee hi jackie
4: hi jeff i would say uh where are our allies um when president biden came back he said america is back when he went went to, and met with all of our allies well they didn't like it the way that the United States has pulled out of there at all. They they've been they, it it didn't have to be that way.
2: It did not right. It it did not have to be that way. It look would there always be? Was there always going to be some sort of chaos when you leave? A- absolutely. But it's the difference between bugging out in a self imposed panic and again, making some sort of orderly withdrawal. And, you know, we, we just we just bugged out. The president, I think, wanted us out by August 31st because he wanted to say, I've ended the war by the 20th anniversary of September 11th, and if we leave tens of thousands of people behind and millions or billions of dollars of material, too bad, so sad. And th- that's what's unfortunate.
4: I agree. Plus, she, uh, excuse me, but Roosevelt or Kennedy, They never would have done that. What happened to our, what happened to our Democrats? What happened?
2: Well, I mean, thanks, I mean, it's not all Democrats. I think that there's a lot of Democrats out there who are are looking at this as well. And and they're just, because here's the problem. If you can be, you can be an isolationist and a lot of Republicans are isolationists too. Like, we don't, we don't want to get involved overseas or whatever. But interestingly, I think there's a lot of Democrats who realize that we do have a place in the world, um, trying to, you know, make, make the world a more secure, more stable place because ultimately that ends up benefiting us. My big question is, you know, after we've done this cut and run and especially the way we did it, how can you trust America's Commitment, you know how how can you trust us when we go to some other hot spot and we try to help put down terrorism or whatever? Now, I've I've always been against nation building, and if you've listened to me over the last couple weeks, I mean, I think the way we've handled Afghanistan has been just wrong from the beginning, and that goes back to the first President Bush. Um, I I just, if you ever get a chance, and I said this a couple weeks ago, to to watch the movie Charlie Wilson's War with Tom Hanks or or read the book, it's really. I mean, it's, it's, it's telling because, you know, Russia got involved in a quagmire in Afghanistan. And, you know, we ended up, we being the United States, supplied the, the people who were fighting Russia with a lot of the, the stuff that they used to defeat Russia. And then we, we just pulled out. So in opening it up for like every terrorist in the world to pile in there, when if we would have instead concentrated on building roads and building schools and stuff, but we, we lost patience. We have a very short attention span in this country and Afghanistan was halfway around the world. Nobody cared about it. And so we we left the conditions favorable for what ended up happening. So, look, I'm equal opportunity when it comes to passing blame. But let's understand, um, you know, Joe Biden, Joe Biden owns what has happened over the last couple weeks, even though he's trying to say, well, I had to end the war. Nobody argues about that. It's just the way you ended up doing it. Let's talk to Paul in Bayview. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
4: Well, good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks. You brought up a lot of points I was going to make about uh, uh, the uh, the Afghanis who helped us being the majority of what's left over there. That's going to end up biting us in the rear because, as you, you so well put in the, the last statement, um, our ward is worth crap right now around the world as yeah. far as commitment goes. And who are, who are the CIA and other, our other intelligence agencies going to get to help us? They're right. going to go, well, what about the people you left in afghan so thanks for bringing all that up it, and i'm worried for our future because of
2: this this situation well thanks uh, i mean it it's it, there, there's clearly the message that we have sent loud and clear is that once once we run out of patience um we're we're, we're out and i mean i i remember I remember the news, con- we carried the news conference, I want to say it was a week ago, Friday or something, and there was a question from the audience to, to President Biden. And the question was, okay, you said you're going to get all the Americans out who want to get out. And, and I understand that, that most of those Americans have gotten out and the ones that are still there um are are probably staying for because they they want to stay for whatever reasons but but the question was all right what about our afghan allies the people that we all agree should qualify the ones who were our interpreters you know the ones who worked with the government the people that we agree should get out and i remember president biden distinctly and I, i wrote it down gosh i might even still have the note there he distinctly said nope everybody we're getting all those people out Well, we didn't get all those people out. There's thousands of those folks that we have left behind to the mercy of the Taliban, and it is not a very merciful group. And I remember at the time I was thinking, why is the president saying something like that? Because unless he is willing to extend the date. Unless he is willing to make a commitment that, OK, hey, we're really going to back up our words. And, yeah, we're going to maybe we're going to retake the Bagram Air Force Base that we should have never given up in in the first place. And, and yeah, we're we're not going to be bullied by, I don't know, groups of folks carrying machine guns that are setting up roadblocks and making a decision as to who can go through and who can't go through. A- unless the president was willing to do that, then he shouldn't have come out and said that we're going to get everybody out because you knew that we weren't going to be able to get everybody out. So I, I think it's to me, I understand Joe Biden wants to change the subject and he wants to talk about things from, well, I, I wanted to end the war. All right, that that's well and good, but that's not the frame of reference. The frame of reference is not, do you want to end the war? It was the way we bugged out. Was this? Was it the worst possible way to do it? Could we have avoided a lot of the problems by doing it in a more systematic way? Could we have avoided creating the conditions which made us more vulnerable to the suicide bombers? You know, were there other things that could have been done? And I understand that the president wants to blame Donald Trump. He wants to blame the military. I just did the, this. No, the, the military was operating under the parameters that Joe Biden gave, which was essentially I'm not sending any more troops in, and we got to be out by August 31st or whatever the date was, and so then the military has to say, okay, well, if that's the case, we don't have enough people to defend Bagram Air Force Base and the embassy and the airport, so we've got to make these choices, but they were choices that were all brought about because of Joe Biden. And for everybody who's texting me saying, Trump, 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 Trump. Okay, I I, I understand. Trump made a bad deal. But let me just leave you with one other thought. If Donald Trump were still the president, do you think that the Taliban would have done what they did while we were in the process of evacuating? Or do you think they might have been concerned that maybe Donald Trump would not have let the U.S. be pushed around, humiliated, and embarrassed like we have been over the course of the last few weeks? Don't know the answer, but I I think that makes for an interesting discussion. Back with more in just a couple minutes.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
2: There is a move afoot in the city of Milwaukee. To reinstitute a citywide mask mandate in light of the ongoing COVID numbers and the struggle to get people vaccinated, and and the city hasn't decided on what they want to do. A couple of the liberal members of the common council are pushing it in a big way, and a couple of these liberal members of the common council uh, look in the mirror and envision themselves as being the next mayor of the city of Milwaukee. In Racine yesterday, on an eight to six vote. The city of Racine, the city council, passed a mask ordinance which essentially is is it's the same one that they had allowed to expire in in June so the the deal is that face masks must be worn in all public spaces which is defined as any indoor space that is open to the public it doesn't include private residences private residential property or private offices or workspaces that are not open to customers or to public visitors but otherwise if you are inside, you gotta wear masks. So if you're in restaurants, you gotta wear the, the masks. If you're in the hardware store, if you're in the drug store, you, you have to wear masks. If you're in the grocery store in the city of Racine, you have to wear the masks. Now this was, again, it was it was contested this time, it was eight to six, and the majority of the, the pro-mask forces ended up winning out. It is not voluntary, it is now mandatory. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, let's let's live in the real world for a minute here. First of all, people who feel comfortable going out in public wearing masks are are doing that now. I mean, I was at I had to go over to um, pharmacy last night and I I walked in and, and I would say and again, it's 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 optional. It's the, the the they follow CDC rules, which say that if you're vaccinated, you you don't have to wear the, the mask. But people choose to do that anyways. And I would say it was about in the people that were in the drugstore when I was there. It was about 70, 30 people who chose to wear masks, even though I'm presuming most of them were probably vaccinated. At least that's what my presumption is. But regardless, people made the decision to wear masks. So. And about 30 percent did not. So the city of Racine now says, "Okay, if you're going to do business in the city of Racine, you do not have that choice. It is not optional. You must wear masks. All right. Among the people that do not want to wear masks, what do you think is going to happen? 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, here's my point. I think the members of the Common Council, the eight who voted for this, I think they have essentially just dealt another severe blow to recovering businesses in Racine. Because here's the deal. There, there, are, there are choices. If you want to wear a mask... You you certainly have every option to do it, and I my guess is people are going to continue to do it, just like the seventy percent of the people that were in the drugstore I was in last night. They, they've because of the spread of COVID nineteen and because of the Delta variant and whatever, they feel more comfortable wearing masks. To which I've always said, go with God. But for the people who don't like the masks, it's not like they do not have choices. And it would seem to me that for folks who do not want to wear masks, um, in that area, well, you know what. It's real easy. You you don't go to grocery stores in the city of Racine. You don't go to hardware stores. You don't go to places of business in the city of Racine. Instead, you drive down to Kenosha County or you come up to Milwaukee County or whatever. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's fine to sort of pass these rules and make yourself feel really good about this stuff. But what is the real world implications of this? And will this decision hurt businesses in Racine. I don't see how it can't hurt businesses in Racine because you have a lot of different choices and the people who want to wear masks, they're going to wear masks regardless and they would be wearing masks regardless. But the people who don't, they're just going to change their behavior, and they're not going to be shopping at Racine businesses. 855-616-1620, that's the accurate Mortgage Talk and Text line. And we already know, by the way, that the state doesn't have the legal authority to impose a statewide mask mandate. So as long as it's going to be community by community, by putting this in, has Racine really accomplished very little except shafting a lot of the Racine businesses? 855 616 Will this change behavior? And by that I mean for the people that don't like to wear masks. All right. Is it now, oh, I'm, I'm going to shop at X grocery store in Racine knowing that I have to wear a mask or else I'm subject to all these penalties? Or are those people simply going to say, Fine. You know, here, Oak Creek, here I come. 855-616-1620. How is this going to play out in this place we call the real world? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a minute.
0: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
2: So just tuning in, Racine, the city council, by an 8-6 to six vote, reimposed indoor mask mandates pretty much everywhere in Racine. Uh, my point is, and a number of the aldermen were trying to make this point yesterday, All this is going to do is hurt businesses in Racine because there's a lot of first off, if you want to wear a mask, you can wear a mask. There, there's no problem with that. If the business wants to say, OK, we want people to come into the business, to wear a mask. The business can make that choice. But by imposing this rule, you are going to have a lot of people who just don't want to wear masks anymore and are vaccinated. And that's one of the reasons they got vaccinated who have other options. And what they're going to do is they're going to vote with their pocketbooks and they're going to end up patronizing other businesses. Jeff, I, and I'm getting a ton of texts on this, but let me give you a sample. Jeff, I live in Racine and have been vaccinated. Um, like I was told, I'm not going to wear a mask now and I will take my business elsewhere. These city leaders are hurting businesses and possibly, um, possibly um, other locations. Uh, Jeff, I live on the south side of Racine. I'm going to be doing my grocery shopping in Kenosha. Well, um yeah, I think that there's a lot of that that's going on. Now, Jeff, I will still support my local community. I don't think it's that much of a big deal if I have to wear a mask. And and I get it. There's going to be a segment of that that people that feel that way. But for all the people out there that say, oh, it's no big deal. I don't mind wearing a mask, et cetera. There's a lot of people who are vaccinated who aren't going to take that particular position and they have options. And so the question is, OK, I live in northern Racine county, do I, I don't know, do I shop in the city of Racine? Do I go to dinner there? Or do I go to dinner somewhere else that does not have the mask requirement? And if you don't think that there's going to be an impact on those businesses, I think you're being extremely naive. Let's talk to uh, Lisa in McGowan Hi, Lisa, you're on WTMJ.
4: Well, just like the last mask mandate, people ignored it anyway. You shopped amongst people who refused to wear masks, when the first variant of COVID was coming around, you're going to have the same thing. There are going to be people. There was never enforcement. There's never been enforcement of mask mandates.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: I don't think they'll lose as much business as you're anticipating they will.
2: Because you just don't think people are going to follow the rule. Because what you're and saying is you don't think people will. Yeah, so you're saying people aren't going to follow the rule. So you can put the rule in. But the, the people who aren't going to wear masks, they're they're, they're still going to go to the same stores. They're just going to. Dare somebody to enforce the rule? Absolutely. But mm-hmm. um, yeah.
0: maybe not.
2: Yeah, I, I don't. I look
0: what
4: the business is. I pray that they don't have to close because if they can't have enforcement of it anyway,
2: I don't know. Yeah, no, thank, I mean, right. Well, I mean, I guess, I mean, if m- my premise is that. You put these rules in, and there is going to be some degree of enforcement, and there is going to be some consequence, and that that people will, you know, follow through on this, and that my point is that as long as people have that choice – There is going to be a significant, we can argue, we can argue whether it's 10% or 30%. There is a a portion of the population that will make the decision by themselves. And what they're going to do is they're going to, they will just shop somewhere where they do not, or patronize a business where the mask mandate isn't there. Now, if the mask mandate is just for show and there's no attempt to enforce it and everybody knows it's a joke, well, yeah, I I understand that's a different sort of story. If it's just kind of, ah, they say we're supposed to, but nobody's going to, well, then it's not going to change behavior. But I guess my question then would be, if if we're not going to enforce this, why bother putting it into effect in the first place? John on the north side. Hi, John, you're on WTMJ. Hi, you hear me? I can, yes, sir.
4: OK, yes, uh, I drive over and Lyft, and uh, and I've been vaccinated and I'm not going to let you get in my car without a mask. Okay. I mean, I, I got I got seven minutes, to, seven minutes to be with you. So um, uh, you have a man and I have extra one in case you don't have one. Mm-hmm. And they're free. Yep. So that's that's my
2: outlook. Well, I mean, thanks. And, and John, and I guess that 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 kind of ties in with what I was saying. I, I if 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 you want to have that rule for people who sit in your car, go with God. I I don't have I don't have an issue with that. I I understand that. But you got to understand that there's a lot of people who do not feel that way. They feel, hey, I've been vaccinated, and I'm willing to now take the risk. I understand that there's a chance that there could be these kind of breakthrough cases, but I don't like wearing the mask, and I don't send me the text. Well, there's no big deal wearing masks. Okay, these are individual choices that people end up you know making. And so the question becomes not, you know, John, do, do you wear a mask when you have people in the car and you're around them? That, that That's fine. I, I get it. You can wear masks when you go into the stores. I don't have a problem with that at all. But the question is, for that percentage of the population, particularly those who are vaccinated and who do not believe that they are at significant risk and are willing to take that risk, and if somebody who's chosen not to get vaccinated is at greater risk, well, OK, they, they have to end up owning that those folks have choices. It's not like it's a statewide mask mandate. You cannot put a statewide mask mandate in. So if Racine does this or the city of Milwaukee does it, Um, Is it virtue signaling or does it really accomplish something? And by virtue signaling, I mean, okay, all right, we're we're we've got this mask mandate. But if all you're doing is then driving people to other places that don't have the mask mandate, and I guarantee you that there is going to be a lot of communities surrounding Racine that isn't aren't going to put in that that mask mandate. So people are going to have choices. I mean, here's a text, Jeff. We simply don't go to restaurants that require them. We also don't refuse, though, to wear them if the owners have rules requiring them. As far as I'm concerned, to each their, their own. Um, yeah, Jeff, the uh, citizens of the who are boycotting their local businesses are doing their community no long-term good and should reconsider their decisions if they want local businesses to survive and thrive long-term. That That is a fair point. The flip side of this would be those eight members of the Common Council that voted for the mask mandate. Are they doing the local business any good by imposing these rules, knowing that people have all sorts of, um, options as well. Jeff, I don't believe there's any enforcement or any repercussions for not wearing a mask. They'll continue to shop in their neighborhood. Well, again, if if that's if, if that's the case, if it's just we're, we're putting this rule in the book, but wink, wink, nod, nod, we're not going to force it. We're not going to be aggressive about it. We're not going to do like the city of Milwaukee did, which is issue thousands and thousands of dollars of worth of tickets against businesses that allow people to come in without masks. Well, if it's just if it's all for show and it's all virtue signaling, well, maybe it won't have an impact. But guess I'm always assuming that when you put laws on the books, you intend to enforce them. I don't know how this is all going to play out, but as long as you have these options that people can choose for the folks who don't want to wear masks, what do you think is going to happen? Are they suddenly going to wear masks or are they just going to go somewhere else? My guess is they're just going to go somewhere else. And at the end of the day, that hurts Racine Businesses. Jeff
1: Wagner on WTMJ.
2: Jeff, your caller is correct. My brother has two grocery stores within a half mile in Ohio that he goes to. One store implemented a mask requirement. The other store didn't. He then only went to the maskless store, The mask requirement lasted one week. The mask required store took the signs down because they were losing so much business. Well, that's that's the reality when people have choices. And if you do not think that people with choices are going to respond to these mandates, you have not been paying attention. That's just the truth. And one of these texts, as usual, your only concern is money. What about the lives that are saved by wearing masks? Okay. note to texter, you miss the point completely the, the the point this is conversation isn't are masks good or are mask bad should people wear masks if they're vaccinated or not that's not the point the point is people have made their decisions when it comes to this and now when you have a mandate the government in this case the city of Racine passes this rule okay you need to wear masks you might think that this is the greatest idea since canned beer okay that that's fine but trust me when I tell you there's all sorts of other people that don't agree with that all right, those people, you can't change. They have now options. It's not like they can't go to a grocery store without wearing a mask. Maybe they got to wear a mask to go to a grocery store in the city of Racine fine. But if they feel strongly about the mask requirement, well, what they're going to do is they're going to go to a grocery store after, you know, somewhere else. That's what I mean about this stuff at some point becoming like virtue signaling. We're, we're going to send the, this message that we're concerned about this and we want to make a statement, even though that has very little or no real-world effect. And and that's kind of the reality. It's just been a frustrating thing to me over the last year and a half that we have people on all sides of these various issues that come up with COVID who become complete and total ideologues about this and and want to go in for these absolutes on these things without thinking about the real-world consequences of this when people have choices. And I know I sound like a broken record on this one issue, but I go back to the vaccine mandates for people who work in Homes. That all right? We say to people who work in nursing homes, you got to be vaccinated by November first. You're going to lose your job. Okay, fine. Well, right now you can't get people to work in nursing homes. Period. The national numbers say 40 percent of the people who work in nursing homes aren't vaccinated. All right. So November first comes around, and now. Half of those people still haven 't been vaccinated you 're going to fire them all who's going to cook the food who's going to you know provide who's going to be the attendants you've been to an emergency room lately you've been to a hospital lately they don 't have enough nurses right now to deal with all the stuff that's going on. You impose these vaccine mandates and you've got certain percentage of nurses, 5%, 10%, 15%, whatever that might be, who are saying, we don't wanna get vaccinated. We've made the decision. I disagree with that, but they've made that decision. They're gonna retire. They're going to quit. They're going to go do something else. And if you don't think that that's going to happen, you are being naive. You don't get it. There is this real-world implication for things. And similarly, if the people in Racine, on those eight members of the Common Council, say, "Okay, well, we're going to impose this mask requirement, good. You've imposed the mask requirement, but you can't make people follow it. You can't take their choices away. And what you've really done is you've driven a bunch of people into Kenosha County to shop it's it's the, these absolutes and it's not, this discussion isn't, gee, are masks good or are masks bad or a vaccines good or a vaccines bad, it's people end up having choices and at some point in time, you end up having to live with the consequences of those various choices but government trying to force it very rarely works out well.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
2: In New Orleans, the, the good news is the loss of life as a result of Hurricane Ida was nowhere near what it would have been um, 16 years ago with like Hurricane Katrina. And, and the good news is because um, we being the taxpayers of the U S government and state of Louisiana invested a, a ton of money, like $14 billion in infrastructure to protect the city. Um, you, you had new levees that were built that by and large, I think all the levees held, you had new, um, pumping stations that were built and protected with separate power st- uh, sources to keep the city pumped out. So I, I'm not suggesting by any way, shape or form that this was not devastating because it, it was, but when you compare it to like Katrina and the loss of life, um, this the area was extremely fortunate one of the things that is not fortunate is the loss of power the um electric grid in new orleans the way i understand it is there are for one of a better term there're like 13 or 14 like power plants that provide power electricity to new orleans and the surrounding area all of those power plants were either taken offline or knocked off the grid or whatever. They were shut down. So there wasn't any, any electricity that was coming into New Orleans. And that's, that's before you even then get to the question about the power lines that are down and stuff. It's just like the plants where the power is originating were shut down. And then, then once you get them back up online, then you've still got the issue of Okay, you know, what about the, the power lines that then take the stuff, the, the electricity, and get it from the plant to individual neighborhoods or whatever? And that's why they're talking about it. It might be several weeks before – electricity is fully restored. I think there's like a handful of neighborhoods that have it. But otherwise, in New Orleans, and it's got to be just terrible because there's blistering heat and you've got the flooding and you've got no lights and you've got no air conditioning and you've got no power to run refrigerators or things like that. So unless you have an emergency generator, you're, you know, you're you're really in in trouble. That's why the governor is telling people who evacuated, just don't come back. I mean, don't come back until we 've got power restored, and things are are better, because if you come back you 're going to be coming back into a, a mess so i i 've been intrigued by the whole idea of, about power and and electricity, and I think there 's a lot of people, for example, who don 't realize that you know electricity comes from somewhere we 're used to you know, throwing the light switch when we walk into our, our bedroom and the lights come on and then, you know, hitting the remote control and the TV comes on and, and going and logging on to the computer and the Internet access comes on. And we don't really think about, OK, where is the electricity coming from that, that generates all that? And the reality is we have a strained electric grid and a very vulnerable electric grid around this country. Now, I think we energies. is for example, does a great job. I, I've said that before. I think they do a great job of keeping the power on. But remember, a couple of weeks ago, when we had you know the, the the big windstorm that blows through, and you had just hundreds of thousands of people who who lost power. And in, in general, like in my case, we we lost power about seven thirty at night. By three o'clock in the morning, it was back on. So it was an inconvenience for me. Well, for a lot of other people that lost power for three or four days, it was much more of an inconvenience. All the food had to be thrown out. you had to relocate if you're not on city water, well okay, you know those toilets have one flush you know until you unless you're going to have some other water source that you can fill it up with Just saying that, that the the power grid is very fragile, and we are dependent on it so with that background, the goal That we have moving forward that uh, the Biden administration has expressed and some people have expressed. The, The goal is to essentially have half of us buying electric vehicles within the next eight or nine years. Now, I just ask this rhetorically as a starting point. If you owned an electric vehicle. And you lived anywhere in, in Louisiana right now that was hit by Hurricane Ida. You're, I mean, g- how are you charging that vehicle? Let me answer the question. You're not charging the vehicle. Now, obviously, if you've got a gasoline-powered engine, you got gas in the car, you can go to a gas station that has some power. Okay. You, you can fill up your car with gas. But if, if you're, if you're on dependent on the electric grid to make your car run, you're, you're out of trouble, out of, out of luck, and you're probably going to be out of luck for the next several weeks. Okay, so I, I pulled the numbers and I was actually thinking about this because a couple of weeks ago, um, the, the Chevy Bolt, which is one of, you know, one of the bigger selling electric vehicles, uh, GM has now recalled all all Chevy Bolts that it built over the last five years because they found that there might be a defect in the batteries that caused these things to uh, catch on fire. So there's a, a massive recall um, that they estimate is going to cost uh, about one point eight billion dollars because they found this defect that these things might catch on on fire. So you, you've got that issue. Um all told, last year there were about 231,000 electric vehicles sold in the U.S. Now this includes the hybrids and it includes the, the plug-in regular electric vehicles. Electric vehicles, including hybrids, are about 2% of the new car market. Um, in general, an electric vehicle, well, that the price is for a comparable comparable car that runs on gasoline, an electric vehicle probably costs on average, and it depends on the model of vehicle, about $19,000 more. Now, as long as there are government-sponsored inducements and tax breaks, well, you, you can bring that cost down, but some of those tax breaks are going away. I was doing some research today, They say, depending again on the vehicle and where you live, the payback period is about 14 years. You know, if you drive the electric vehicle for 14 years, depending again on the cost of electricity, you'll probably come out ahead, to which my point is who drives cars for 14 years, not a lot of people. In any event, the the big push is electric vehicles, electric vehicles, electric vehicles. We do not have an infrastructure infrastructure. Right now, an electric infrastructure that I think can support all the things we need to do now, much less bringing electric vehicles from 2% of the new car market to 50% of the new car market, not to mention all the issues with batteries and things like that. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, whenever we talk about electric vehicles, I always run into people who are just sort of militant about this. And this is... This is, I've got an electric vehicle. I love it. Everybody should be driving them. Okay, fine. Is that realistic? Is it realistic that half of us are going to be in electric vehicles in the next Seven or eight years, 855 That's the accurate mortgage talk and text line. I'm sorry, I, I just, I, I don't see it. I don't think that the infrastructure is going to be there to support it. I don't think the cost is going to make sense. There might be a point in time in this country's history where we get to a point where, yeah, okay, the the electric vehicles, the technology is developed and the cost of the batteries has gone down enough so that it makes sense for people to make that economic decision. But right now gas is cheap. Gas is plentiful. And the free market I think is going to dictate this unless the government simply you know, puts the internal combustion engine out of business. 855-616-1620. All right, in the next five to ten years, can electric vehicles really be half of the market? And if you were driving one now in New Orleans, what would you be doing? Oh yeah, you wouldn't be driving it. We discuss eight five five six one six one six twenty. This is Jeff Wagner.
1: Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
2: That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm really wondering, I mean, if you had an electric vehicle in New Orleans right now, but you, you might, weeks and weeks, before you could power the thing up to drive it. On top of that, you've got the Chevy Bolts that have just been recalled. All the vehicles that have been made in the last five years have been recalled because of a fire risk, and yet we're, we're talking about half the vehicles being sold in the United States within the next nine years are going to be electric vehicles. I'm sorry, I, I just don't see it. Maybe 20 years from now, maybe 30 years from now, but I just don't see this, and and maybe we need to, again, this is a theme of today's program, kind of live in the real world instead of, I don't know, trying to force people to change their behavior when we're not ready for it. Let's uh, start with uh, Tom in Germantown. Tom, you're on WTMJ.
4: Hello. It's an interesting topic. There's no way that they'll ever be able to reach that goal. First of all, you have to have 50% of the people that really want to buy one of them. Yes. Secondly, you don't have enough manufacturing capabilities to make enough batteries to reach that goal because we're not the only country that wants to go more electric. And I'm not saying it's not a viable option, but not not yet. Right. And second,
2: yeah, not yet. Exactly. And and, and, right. And the cost has to come down as well. I think.
4: What do you do? Hello. Yeah. What what do you do with the What do you do with the waste? From the batteries when they're not usable anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't know if you knew this, but uh, I talked to a Tesla dealer, and a Tesla battery loses 10% of its power each year. Mm-hmm. So after 10 years, it's gone. Yeah. So 14 years that you were talking about isn't going to make it. Mm-hmm. And, but the other thing also is the, what it does to the earth, digging up these minerals. Yep. It's, it's a real difficult situation. So.
2: Right. No, you're right, Tom. No, thanks. You know, you, you know, you make a couple really good points. The, the cost, and look, I, I understand that at some point in time, this is going to come down. The story I'm looking at right now. Let me pull this out. Um, right now, the cost of replacing a battery pack in an electric vehicle can range from around $5,000 for smaller, or less expensive cars to more than $30,000 for those used in high performance models. Now, I, again, I, I expect that over time, as you get more of these things on the market, if you get more of these things on the market, what, what's going to happen is that cost will, will come down. But but seriously, you know, what do you? How do you say to somebody? Okay, well, you've got this battery, and and again, batteries. Batteries need to be changed out. I have a. I'm very proud of my old iPhone. I have an iPhone that's like six or seven years old. I've told the story, and I don't need a new iPhone. And but what happens is every three years or, go, or so, I have to do what I did this week, which is I take it in and I get a new battery put in, and it's fifty bucks. Well, okay, that's a good deal as opposed to buying a twelve hundred dollar iPhone. But at the same time, if you're talking about batteries that have to be replaced every few years, you know, or even if it's five or seven years or whatever, you say to somebody, okay, it's going to cost you ten thousand. Or whatever, that, that's that's a pretty discouraging thing. But again, the, then there's all sorts of other issues, including you know, how long it takes to charge them. And I understand they're, they're making improvements. But if if you're if you're taking a trip, you are driving from Milwaukee, Wisconsin to uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota and you know you're you're driving along and that's like a 600 mile trip or however long I think it's about 600 miles and so what you want to do is you know you're heading across southern minnesota to get to sioux falls and all of a sudden you're okay that battery is kind of low you want to pull over well if you're driving an internal combustion engine car you pull over to the truck stop you go up to the gas station you go into the bathroom you you know do your business you come out the 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 car is filled with gas and then you get back out on the road you don't have to sit around and wait for, I don't know, an hour or however long it's going to take for your car to charge again. At some point in time, in my opinion, the marketplace is going to make electric cars more desirable. But I don't believe that we are there at this point in time. I don't think we're anywhere close to being there at this point in time. And I think that there's all these different issues. And we start with the basic premise of, Where where are we going to get the energy that's going to come from? Where are we going to get all the extra electricity? on an already challenged electrical grid to power these electric cars. And and, and I understand some people poo-poo this, but, all right, we we're, every time you want to build a new power plant, my God, people are going nuts as that is. Well, the, the, the electricity has to be generated somehow. And if you think that, okay, wind power and solar power is going to be enough to do it, Well, all right, my advice would be, with all due respect, make sure you duck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck so you don't hurt yourself because, you know, there's no way that wind and solar, which is kind of a niche, there's no way that that's going to generate enough additional electricity to power a grid if half of the people with cars are driving electric vehicles. 855-616-1620, Mike in Sheboygan. Hi, Mike. Hey,
5: good afternoon, Jeff. Say. I uh, just wanted to add on to your point there. I just returned home uh, Sunday night from a trip down to Tennessee. Um, basically, we got up at 530 in the morning, had the vehicle gassed up, and we got back up here in Wisconsin at 530 at night. So it was roughly a 1,000 miles. Now, I had to make three stops at gas stations, just as you said. I was in and out and back on the road. If I was not an electric vehicle to get a full charge on an electric vehicle, it's about three hours that you have to wait to get a full battery charge. Yep. So the average range right now is three to 400 miles. So that means I would have had to stop three times at three hours. Uh, that's nine hours. I would have had to have been sitting, waiting for my electric vehicle to charge. Yeah. There's no way I could... You could take your family on a vacation and do that drive anymore at that
2: point. Well, right now, I mean, I think over time, Mike, you know, the technology is going to develop so you can get. I mean, assuming that the power grid is increased to support that, they'll probably figure out ways to recharge them faster. Now, not as quickly as you can fill a tank of gas, but but we're not there now, and we're not close to being there now. Maybe twenty years from now, yeah, it'll just be flicking a switch and, and boom, all you got to do is wait ten minutes. But but we're not there now. I don't see us being there anytime soon.
5: I so. think there's a place for it. I mean, if I was living within the city and I had a 15-20 minute drive to work each day that I could use my electric vehicle, let it charge up overnight, yep. get in the car, drive to work, be able to drive back home on a charge. I think that's, you know, that's the right thing, and the right usage I, for it, but I don't know how a family could exist with only that option.
2: No, see, and you raise an interesting point, Mike. I have a I have a friend who's got a place in Florida. And he has, he has a, he's got a Tesla. But it's, and, and in, in the condo he lives in, in his parking space in, for the Tesla, there's, there's, there's a charging thing. And so, it, it, it's a, f- and I've ridden it. It's a fun car to spin around in. Don't, don't get me wrong. It, it's a fun car to, to drive and to ride in. But he does exactly what you're talking about. He uses it for, hey, if I, I'm going to be running errands that, that morning, or we're going out to dinner that night, you know, and you're just driving, you know, five or ten miles or whatever, and then you're coming back. He has another vehicle, maybe they have two down there, that for other sorts of things, they're, they're using the regular car. So it's, it's kind of like a play toy. A really- Cool play toy, but it's a play toy that doesn't work for most people. Yeah. yeah, no, thanks for calling. And again, it's you're you're right. That's the that that's the like I say, it, it it's a fun car to, to drive around in, and this is one of those expense. This is one of those expensive cars, and I, I always like driving with my buddy in the te- in the Tesla. But the the point is, you're not driving very far if you're only again if you're going ten miles here, ten miles there. You're spinning around during the day. It's it's a, a it's a play toy essentially a nice play toy, cool play toy, but it's not something that you're using for your daily driver. And that's down in Florida. I mean, I, I don't know how any of this stuff would work if you're here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and you're, um, you know, you're driving around when it's 10 below zero and you've got to heat the car and stuff. I am sort of surprised. The bottom is completely fallen out of the market for hybrids because to me, and I don't own a hybrid either, but hybrids at least that makes more sense because you still get a lot of the efficiency you know you 've got the electric vehicle but then you 've got the backup gas engine but it's interesting the numbers I have that the hybrid market have just it's just Um, 64,300 hybrids sold in 2020, about half as many as in 2018. So the the hybrid market, for whatever reason, is dropping out. I'm not interested in either an electric vehicle or a hybrid, but uh, people are moving away from the hybrids. Back with more in just a couple of minutes. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is The Jeff Wagner Show. And
2: now James, Jeff Wagner, Melissa Barclay, Did you ever work in TV?
0: I worked as a producer for but, a while, but,
2: but not, not, not not an on-air on air. role mm-hmm. as a, as a mm-hmm. reporter and stuff. I assume in your radio career, have you done like stand-ups from remote locations and things like that? Yeah. yeah. Yep. I, I just I, I was thinking this. Did, did you? I, okay, I, I, I've been. You know, my my second career has been in radio, but there was a period of time uh, for about five or six years where um, Channel 4, back when they were one of our, when we were like shared a corporate identity they they had a they had a news show at three o'clock and then we we did features one of the features was like something we'd call sound off, which is where people we 'd have a topic that we'd put out every day and people would call in and then we'd discuss it and then the the last like twenty minutes of the show was me and the two anchors, whoever they were, and a, a revolving guest who would come in and we'd talk the issues of the day so and it, we, it, you know they, they um I did it for i think like six years or something like that, but what would happen occasionally is I would be out like tomorrow. I'm going to be at Summerfest. Mm-hmm. Or you'd be at opening day or whatever. And they'd still want to do the features. So I'd be participating remotely. They'd have somebody with a camera and stuff. And so you'd be out there in, in these crowds. And there would always uh, – it didn't happen very often, but occasionally – you'd have some jack wagon that would like, <laughs> like come up You're you're doing this live TV thing and somebody- are and you're, behind you're, you. Well, well, right, Well, you, and you're concentrating, it's very difficult because you're you're, mm-hmm. you're concentrating, you're on television, you're concentrating on what you want to say, it's live TV and, and stuff me- like that. a lot of it's
0: memorized facts or, well, or, whatever, or whatever it is, you're just or talking the in cuff. This, yeah. right?
2: You're not really paying attention to surroundings and all of a sudden some idiot comes up behind you and grab. I had that happen once. And, and I always, so I've always been very sympathetic to these reporters that deal with that on a regular sort of basis. And, and it's always made me wonder, okay, you know, what? what is it that possesses one of these jack wagons? I guess that's a self, you know, uh, it's sort of a self-defining term, and it answers itself. You know, they want to run in and, and grab people. Did you see the story about what happened to um, the the reporter down in Gulfport, Mississippi?
0: I did. It, it is it was, it was, it, it's
2: incredible. A, okay, so he's NBC News mm-hmm. reporter. And he's standing there in in Gulfport, and what he's doing is he's, um, he's he's broadcasting about. This is after Ida had moved through, so you know the the backdrop is the Gulf of Mexico and stuff like that. And you see in the shot, there's this this white SUV. That it, it's he's not the reporter isn't in a throng of people or something like that. Which um, after the I felt bad for the, these local reporters after the Bucks game. Did we talk about this after the Bucks win? They had a bunch of these. I, I was watching the different local TV channels and they had a bunch of them, like in the Deer District or on Water Street or stuff. And there were, I, I mean, okay, they're in the middle of like cele- celebrating drunk, you know, Bucks fans and. Every reporter I saw on every channel, somebody came up and felt the need to scream an obscenity and stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh. (laughs) But, but anyhow, the, so the guy is at Gulfport and you can see this, this white SUV pulls up and parks. So it's, it's not like he was even walking by. He sees the reporter, he pulls up and parks and this guy gets out and just makes a beeline at this reporter and starts screaming at him.
0: I think he he says something about get the facts right or something like that. Like make sure your your facts are right. You know, I I don't know what would possess someone to to do that. I mean, it was intentional. Obviously, oh, no, you no. park and you make the decision to right. go over and right. It, you it's know. not
2: even like okay, you're you're walking by. Norman. No, exactly. He, he saw parking. the broadcast mm-hmm. and he decided to park it. Now it's interesting because the guy. Benjamin Eugene Dagley of Wooster, Ohio. Um, he's apparently on probation for like other stuff, oh. but it's kind of like, man, you know, you go down there on vacation, you come back on probation. But I, I mean, I, I did feel, <laughs> you know, I did feel sorry. More people than,
0: than you'd like to know probably well, if that happens. Well,
2: right, I did, but I did, I did kind of feel sorry. But I, I mean, I'm, I'm always looking, and, and I. I, I have as many issues with the mainstream media as, as a lot of people do, and biased reporting. But this is some poor guy who's just standing there trying to do this stand-up talking about the devastation for. Her. And this this man, this jack wagon, goes out of his way to try to get into the shot.
0: And more so than ever during the pandemic and during you know through different administrations, being a reporter doing live reports is can be very very difficult because there are people out there that that do this. Uh This isn't the first time this has happened.
2: Do <laughs> um. Did I tell you my opening day story? I, I might have told you this, so bear bear with me. So it was one year. So I'm doing this live at three, mm-hmm. and um, the I would, It was one of these days where the the Brewers opening day. It was opening day, so I'm out doing the broadcast like I normally do in my doing my radio show. But it didn't. The game didn't start till three o five. Okay, so it was it was a late game. So that means that people had been in the parking lot with the opportunity to start drinking from about ten o'clock on. Okay. So the the show on Channel 4 was live at, at three. So, okay. They say, why don't you stay around <laughs> and and mm-hmm. hear what we'd like to do? Why don't you go over and, and like, go, go over to the sausage house or something and, and find people to interview. Okay, well, th- th- this is not what I do for a living, but okay, I'm a, I'm a sport. What the heck? I mean, I I can do that. So um, now, of course, keep in mind the game starts at three. So this is this is now three twenty. So these are people not in. So the only people that are are not in are either people who have been drinking since eleven and haven't had enough to drink, so they're not ready to go into the game, or alternatively, it's people who don't have tickets to the game who just came to drink. Regardless, I, I mean, it's just a, a drunken fest. So. All right, I, I go over there, and I'm, I'm looking for somebody to interview about what whatever. They're going to put on live television. No delay, no live television. So then I, I'm kind of like looking around, and I've got the, the camera guy with me, and I, I, I start to like do this little thing that they're, I'm doing like a soundbite back to the studio. So there's four women behind the camera guy. Who don't realize that the camera is pointing at me, not at them? Who then immediately decide they're all going to pull up their tops and expose their They're going their to breasts. flash people. Oh yes, they're, 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 but the, the thing is, they're so drunk that they don't realize that they're they're not on camera. That <laughs> it's the back of the camera, oh, not no. like, like okay, this oh, isn't a selfie. You know. and I'm thinking. Oh. Okay. So then we have that. And so then the producer saying, well, Jeff, find some people to put on the air. And I think, okay, do you want the four women that just pulled up their tops and exposed themselves? Or there's this group over here where they've got a wiffle ball bat, a wiffle ball. And what they're doing is you chug a beer. And then they spin you around, and you try to hit the ball. I say, okay, do you want me to put those people worse on live television? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and keep in mind, this is live TV, and we have no yeah. control over it all. So, I always think of those stories when I think of the oh. silliness that went on down there. So, you have managed to miss a lot of that in your career thus far.
0: I, I have. I think uh, you know. I think I remember last year—not last year, the year before—at Summerfest, uh, some guy came by the studio and put his mouth on the on the window and blew really hard, so his cheeks blew. out. <laughs> <laughs> like, I... And I'm, I'm just like, why? Why uh-huh. why would you well, do that? But, you know, alcohol gets involved, and that's
2: why people do you. You you, you, asked that, that, you asked that as well, <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, somebody says you should write a long song with that phrase, go down on vacation, come back on probation. Actually, That's true. Actually, right? there, I, think <laughs> there, a song. I think there is a song like that that I probably stole that line from somewhere <laughs> along the line. But, yeah, that that's going to uh, be the category for Benjamin Eugene, Eugene Dagley, 54, oh, of Wooster, Ohio, who thought you planned it here. I'm going to stop. Stop my car. It's not like you're even just walking by the reporter and you want to yell an expletive about him. You're going to stop your car and go running at them while they're on a live TV broadcast. I guess it takes all kinds, huh? <laughs> yeah. And that's why we have jails. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff
1: Wagner on WTMJ.
2: Okay. Yeah, that, that, that was a song line. I, I'm trying to remember. It's uh, uh, Todd Snyder, who's a great folk singer. He's got a song called Telamuk County Jail. Here's the, the chorus. I was trying to remember. I'm sitting here waiting in the Tellamook County Jail. Uh, now I'm hoping that she's not so mad that she's not going to pay my bail. Coming down on vacation, going to leave on probation, have to send all my money in through the mail, going to send all my money to the Telemoc County Jail. I knew I'd heard that somewhere. So always want to give credit for great turns of phrases. Yes, going down on vacation, coming home on probation. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. With the surge in Delta... A lot of businesses are rethinking their plans. For example, fast food restaurants during the the heart of the pandemic, fast food restaurants largely closed their interior internal dining area. They, they just, you know, and, and matter of fact, I I think there's a, a lot of the fast food restaurants, and I don't go to fast food restaurants that often anymore. And it's been a long time since I actually physically went into like a fast food restaurant, unless I was on a road trip or something and needed to run into the bathroom and then you grab a soda or something. But but short of that, a number of fast food restaurants just permanently closed, or at least had closed their indoor dining areas like McDonald's or Wendy's or whatever. Those had been gradually reopening. Story I'm looking at estimates that um, oh, since the height of the pandemic, uh, about 70% of um, McDonald's who had closed indoor dining at all their locations had reopened by last month. Um, and McDonald's had said that they thought that they were on track to reopen nearly all of their restaurants by, by Labor Day. However... Last week, McDonald's instructed its franchisees on steps they should take to reclose the dining rooms in areas where the Delta variant is rapidly spreading. And, you know, they said, look, so here, here's the deal. You know, if you live in an area where there's a lot of Delta, we recommend you you shutting these down. Now, the interesting thing to me about all this has been. Do do people miss the indoor dining at fast food restaurants? Now look I I understand it it's one thing if you want to go if you want to you want to go out to dinner and you want to go to a restaurant, obviously, when the restaurants, the interiors were closed and people could only pick out, carry out and things like that, that had a huge impact on lots and lots of, of restaurants, you know, the fine dining establishments. The fast food places are different, given the fact that the drive throughs are a, a big portion of, of their business. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Fast food restaurants. You know, the, the Burger Doodles of the world, the, the Burger Kings, the McDonald's, the, the Wendy's, the Arby's, those places of the world, do you miss being able to go into the actual physical dining area and, and sit? or is drive through enough 855 that's the acute mortgage talk and text line cuz it's interesting like i say absent a, a road trip needing to to run in and use the bathroom and then i buy a cup of coffee or soda or something like that i don't i i when i go through the burger doodles i'm i'm going through the drive through line mcdonald's was going to at least hope to have all its locations indoors open um by next week don't think that's going to happen. Is this a big deal? Will you miss it? 855-616-1620. Have you missed it? We discuss in a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, it's um, interesting because the experience that many of you are having it is sort of similar to what mine is, which is, as a general rule, I, I don't go into fast food places. I'm pretty much exclusively the drive through Now, a couple of people are pointing out that some of the McDonald's have become it, – it's a place, for example, for – you know, seniors to socialize. You know, everybody goes and gets a cup of coffee and some whatever in, in the morning and you sit around and, and chat. And, and I understand that, but as far as a like indoor dining place, I just don't know how often that is. Jeff, actually the first time I sat down in a McDonald's was last week when we were on a road trip and we just didn't want to eat in the car, but otherwise in town, I usually do curbside or drive through. But I do remember um, back when we had younger children, we would go in and we'd let them run around in a safe place like the playground area. My guess is that's what uh, people that's what people might miss. Um, Jeff, I miss indoor dining like I miss Keston Hira. Ooh. Ooh, oh man, we got a sports dig there. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, I won't even notice the difference. I haven't been on the inside of a fast food restaurant since May of two thousand four. Um, you know, when I walked into I was new to home care nursing, I walked into a fast food restaurant and walked into the middle of an armed robbery. Huh? That would definitely get your attention. Jeff, the majority of the time, I do not miss not being able to go to fast food places. I usually only use the drive through The only time I think I would miss it is when I'm out and about shopping with friends, would like to sit down, chat, and maybe have something to drink. Yeah, I think... And of course, that's, that's where you're going to have the other restaurants and bars and stuff that that rise up to fill the need. I think, you know, one of the interesting untold stories in the article I'm looking at really doesn't, doesn't address that is the fact that during the pandemic, uh, the sales, for example, at McDonald's, a lot of these McDonald's did very, very well. Now, when you take away a portion of their business, like you can't have the indoor dining, that's that's going to have an, an impact. But at a lot of these places, the, the drive-through stuff was able to make up for at least some of that big picture when it comes to cost because for example I have to imagine it costs a lot more money staffing etc cetera, etc cetera, to be open for the interior dining and if you if you're closed and you're just funneling people through the fast food stuff you're able to you're able to save some money in that regard um, you know I, I don't know how this whole thing is is going to end up playing out but this is again one of the interesting stories McDonald's was committed to trying to get all the restaurants, you know, opened internally, but now that you have, again, the the explosion of uh, the COVID cases, a lot of that is going the other way, moving in the wrong direction. I just, you know, when, when we come through this pandemic, and we will come through the pandemic at some point in time, when we come through the, the pandemic, I think there are going to be certain aspects of of life that have have changed for forever. Some stuff's going to go back to normal, but some things have been changed forever. And I don't think we actually really know what those things are until they're back. But I could easily see some businesses who've decided, you know what, um, we never really depend. We don't. We don't need the interior dining as much as we thought we did. And again, it's going to be the fast food type of restaurants, not the fine dining establishments. But we don't need it as much as maybe we used to, and and maybe we can do without it. Just saying. When we come back, let's find out what Eric Bilstadt, who's in for John, has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.